tag team's back again. Yeah, that's right. Get a grip on lighting. We're here again. And we had another conversation with the great and powerful Dr. Matthew Ma. Fun times, Greg. He's always good to talk to. Always innovative, getting after new things in lighting. So fun to talk to. Yeah, and you know what? He's one of those guys that steps away from his products and speaks about the science of it or the technology or the engineering or the deployment or the potential problems in the field and then steps back. And he's he's one of those great guys in the industry. And so his company, um, Aledra, is sponsoring the show. Go to A-L-E-D-D-R-A dot com, baby. That's Aledra.com, Greg. That's right. Give him time to step back into his product side of it now. And you'll see on, on the podcast, he has all of these plaques behind him. You know why he does is because Elijah was ranked 30th among all lighting companies in the world in 2019, according to the number of awarded U.S. lighting patents. 30th. That's a, that's a big crowd that they're in, and they're up there. Uh, it's a leader in two patents LED per lighting. engineer. Two patents per engineer. There you there go. You go. <laughs> and it's a leader in emergency LED lighting, and it's wellness lighting products have won IES recognition three years in a row. Now, what I like too, and is we didn't talk about it in the podcast today, but it's in their website. You look on their homepage, I'm sure Scott's showing you that now. I love how they have it broken down. They've got wellness, emergency, and professional. So wellness encompasses circadian, it encompasses UV lighting, it does all that stuff. That's wellness lighting. I like that term. Emergency lighting makes sense because they're really active in that and they have emergency lighting tubes and the professional they also have every other light fixture source type thing you need out there it's a great company that's the wellness lighting professionals i like that word as well so you got to go to a l e d d r a dot com that's a ledger.com and of course dr matthew ma man friend of the show anytime you're welcome you know i just want to say quickly to the before we get to the show because i know you guys are shut up culligan but um you know what you got to check out the lighting industry news brief uh Released every Monday morning, man. What a way to start off your week. That's right. So every Monday morning, Nail puts out a news brief and Scott reads it. So while you're in your car, you can get ahead of what's happening in the game. Go to NAILD.org. Check out the Lighting Industry News Brief. Right now, though, Dr. Ma's coming in hot. Welcome back, Dr. Matthew Ma, to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. Good to have you again. Thank you. Very happy to be here, Mike and Greg. Say hi to Greg Eric. Yeah, there you go. You did. Hi. Hi, Greg. Ah, oh, I just can you believe I, I that's the first time someone did that. You beat us to it here. <laughs> so Greg, why don't why don't you why don't you start us off this morning, my man? Yeah, so we we talked or we emailed a little bit back and forth and this uh germicidal lighting or whatever we're calling it, UV lighting, where we're seeing a lot of the action in the industry. You guys have some unique product and you have a different approach to it. Can you explain what you're doing that's different from everyone sure. else? Uh, sure. Well, I look to you step back a bit. Uh, so everybody will have the same idea on how germicidal lighting. Uh, there are two different approaches. The first approach is to use light for direct disinfecting. And the second approach is to use light for indirect disinfecting. For direct disinfecting, there's the UVCs. And there's the far UVs, sorry, not far UVs, more on the near UVs uh, and the UVA. They operate differently. With UVs, is the photon energy that this, uh, deactivate and uh, damage the DNA and the RNA of the bacteria and virus. The UVA in the near UV for 5 nanometer 
they interact with the cellular wall of bacteria and damage the cellular wall, so they cannot reproduce themselves. And then there's a third approach, using UV light source to act a photocatalyst. And then the photocatalyst will have two different effects on bacteria and virus. Number one effect is similar to the UVA. It would damage the cellular wall of bacteria. And secondly, they will also create hydroxyl, which is a hyperactive uh, photocatalytic material. Uh, you will bind and deactivate bacteria and virus by stealing their electrons. Uh, all these uh, approach are effective, uh, but UVA and the uh, photocatalytic approach work on all bacteria and viruses. However, the UVA approach and the near UV for five nanometers is only effective against bacteria because virus doesn't have any cellular wall. If I would use a uh, analogy, say, Mike, Greg, and Matthew, all three of us are big single cell bacteria. The use of UVC is like using a UV photon gun shooting at you. When you most of your organs get damaged, you are deactive. You cannot reproduce it yourself. That's how UVC works. With the UVA, uh, it's like sucking, uh, damaging your, the skin of your body to the point you cannot reproduce yourself effectively. That's how if, uh, the UVA and the near UV work against the uh, skin, the cellular wall of bacteria. Whereas the, uh, the photocatalytic material uh, uh, process we use, I also go by the name photoelectro-oxidation, is a PECO, photoelectro-oxidation. Couldn't spell today. Peco, uh, photoelectrochemical oxidation, uh, is like sucking your blood, your light juice off you, and eventually you just collapse and die. So that's three different way of seeing how uh, UVC versus UVA versus photocalyx uh, process operates against bacteria and viruses. And you guys are using the <clears throat> the PECO or PICO? Is that what you're calling it? Uh, we use both approach depending on the product. Um, our overbed light, uh, classic uh, overbed light, we use the UVC base and we have a uh, vacant sensor. So it is used when the patient is not in the room. For some other products, we use the photocatalytic approach. So there's a forced air circulation that you can use it at all time. Uh, and it doesn't have any uh, UVC uh, in the equipment at all. So there's no side effect or the danger of being exposed to UVC at all. And in some other product, uh, like our desktop light, uh, you use only UV, uh, not UV at all. We just use visible light source because the high density photocatalytic material we use in our product can be activated by visible light. So it is not necessary to have a UV light source at all. Uh, so we take advantage of that and use uh, that uh, approach in some of the design with uh, visible light source only. And the effect has been very good. Like the, uh, the desktop light that we have, um, uh, we test that desktop light with the uh, white LED, 2700 and 5000 Kelvin only. Uh, and then it has a fan processing uh, 29 cubic feet of air per minute. 
and we have this unit tested in a 1,000 cubic feet test chamber against H1N1 uh, influenza A virus uh, with a standard testing time of 60 minutes. Uh, the result came back with 99.5% kill, 99.5% kill, or should I say deactivating against uh, H1N1 influenza A virus with that design without using any UV light source. So you have uh, a few different products, and you're saying that there's not one system that works better than others. It depends on the application and the product. Yeah. By science, technology-wise, uh, UVC and photocalyx uh, approach, both approach uh, can be effective against all bacteria and viruses. But uh, it depends on how you apply it. If you apply it properly, uh, you will work. Uh, for example, if you're using UVC, there's a certain dosage it has to be met in order to be effective against, say, COVID-19. It's 5 millijoule per square centimeters. Uh, and then with the photocalyx, it also has the issue of how long it takes and how fast it can process the air uh, in order to remove and dilute uh, the airborne pathogen uh, uh, concentration level. Uh, and then also whether you have efficient... Uh, effective high density photocalyx or not. Correct. So if you use it properly, uh, both can be effective, but if you don't design it properly, uh, either overdose or uh, just you know, it's not enough processing power or it's not enough uh, photocalyx activity, then it become less effective. What is an overdose? Uh, with the UVC, there's definitely overdose. If you put too much, you would damage eyes and skins, but with the photocalyx, uh, there's none because you're not making any physical contact of photocalic material to human. And, and in the process, uh, if you're not using any UVC in the equipment, then there's no side effect with that. But if you don't have sufficient processing power, uh, say you only processing 20% of the air in the environment per hour, then it will not be effective because uh, that air processing rate, it will be too low. So when I is use that. Why not use that Pico for everything, uh, that, that material? If, it, if it's not harmful like UVC, why not do that on every fixture you do? You could. You could. Uh, but not all fixtures is uh, in itself to be able to uh, have a building forced air circulation, putting a fan inside. Uh, it's not possible to do it inside a, a, a A19 or panel light. New products uh, appearing on the market with some forced air circulation, even with the panel light, by cutting hole along the side, uh, you can do it that way as well. Uh, As more people learn about this approach, uh, I believe there will be more products like that appearing on the market. So so you've you've spoken about two things. You've broken things down from the light science, the technical side. What you're talking about is a surface disinfection versus air disinfection. So you're creating an active air disinfection system with the one fixture. And with the other one, you're creating uh, a surface disinfection process, correct? That is correct. Very good point. Yes, exactly. Uh, For example, uh, for a patient room, we'll recommend using both our Truffer Pro has that 24 by 7 air disinfection capability without any side effect. And also with a overbed light that has the UVC, which can be turned on when uh, the patient room is vacant. That is correct. 
Surface disinfection, I think, is something that is, you know, initially when all this started, everything was about surface disinfection, right? Um, you would hear about how you can do this and that and these push around carts and on and on. And a lot of people came out with various nanometers and that. And I think what's happening is we're seeing a withdrawal from that a little bit and seeing more emphasis put on the, on the air. And whether that's a passive air disinfection solution or an active air disinfection solution is kind of um, what we're seeing is some competition between those two things. Um, passive air has advantages. Active air has advantages. Where, where, where do you stand, Dr. Ma, from, from your position, not as working for a, a vendor, but as, as a scientist? Are we moving away from the surface and, and more towards the air? I don't think so, because one thing to remember is they are pathogen get transmitted mainly through air. And they are pathogen transmitted mainly through physical contact, uh, like the flu bug. Using flu bug example, they transmit mainly through air. And they are E. coli, the Staphylococcus aureus uh, bacteria, they transmitted mainly through physical contact on the surface. So uh, if you want to fight uh, something to fight against flu bug, then you need to rely on the, the air disinfection. But if you want to prevent something uh, that gets transmitted from physical contact, then you will need something that can provide service disinfection. Uh, with a UVC type of germicidal uh, uh, lighting equipment, when you turn it on, it can disinfect the air and the surface and the service, but the downside is you cannot use it at all time. So you have to reapply it periodically. But with the forced air, air circulation, air disinfecting equipment, you can process at all time. Some would even use antibacterial, the PECO-based air features in the HVAC system where they will clean the air upstream before it gets released into the room. So there are different approaches addressing different uh, path of uh, pathogen uh, transmission. Greg's ready to jump in here, but I just wanted to carry this point on for a little bit, Greg, because I was, I was segueing into segueing into something. Um, the is the lighting industry ready to do this kind of work? Uh, good questions, because uh, lighting industry in general, uh, which deal more with the visible light source and the design and the uh, emotion side of it and the optics side of it. But the germicidal part is more, it's different. It's different because there's a UVC dosage issues. Uh, there's a side effect what happened if you overdo it, overdo it. And even when it comes to air disinfection, uh, there's the air processing power you have to calculate in order to, in order to make sure uh, it has sufficient air disinfection uh, uh, efficiency. Mm. Uh, so it's a different parameters that you have to play with it and also a different science you have to understand how it operates. Uh, some fast learner uh, with you know, uh, deep technology uh, uh, capability, they can probably take advantage of that and jump into this uh, opportunity faster than most other folks. I would think that rather than the fast learners, I think the um, the snake oil crowd is probably well at work in this space, um, 
you know, uh, you know, and providing information. One of our modules in LS Evolve discusses the ongoing ma- maintenance of UVC and UV lighting systems and what, what goes on in that. And that's a, that's a whole new field as it relates to LED. So we know how often, you know, uh, mercury lamps need replacement and what their lifespans are in order to keep the, the right. disinfection continuing. Uh, these, these units contain filters, I assume, these, these active air disinfection units you're talking about. They contain filters that need to be changed. They contain light sources that may not continue to work. So you would have a false sense of security at some point down the road if the system wasn't replaced, upgraded, or maintained. What are your thoughts on those cycles? Good points. Good points. Uh, because air disinfection equipment all come with a uh, filters of sort. Uh, it has to be placed periodically, and usage will depend on the cleanness of the environment because a more dirty environment will clog up uh, the air filter a lot faster. And also, depending on the operation time, if you're operating the unit in a 24 by 7 mode, uh, you will have to replace that filter sooner uh, than you would when you're using the unit only on weekdays during office hours. Who that sells the filters? I think most of the vendor will sell the the, the filters. Well, the vendors of the uh, the fixture will sell the uh, um, the filter because they are all custom made, and different vendors have different formulas of their <laughs> photocollector material. Uh, that's another yeah area, a gray area. But one thing to always uh, remember is to ask uh, the vendor for the third party test report, just like you would sure. with the. Uh, uh, yeah, the uh, LM79 report from a, a clam lab. Sure. You want to have a third-party test report from on that air disinfecting unit from a, a clam lab as well, because they would tell you uh, what test environment they did. A uh, good example is if some equipment claim to be uh, able to use, uh, uh, should be recommended to use in a 100 square feet area, if their test environment is only uh, in a one meter cubic uh, cubic that is about thirty five cubic feet. The test result really cannot translate to that actual application space. Of course, but so that's good. You- that's a that's a that's a major problem across the board in this field because the yep. the the UV this the UV has been used for decades to purify water. And when you're talking about water, they're talking about this is the size of the pipe. This is the flow rate of the water. This is the intensity of the radiation. Now we have clean water, right? Or, and so right. there's, you're, it's a very controlled environment. Now we're deploying into a highly uncontrolled environment. The final point I'll make on those filters is as someone that runs a, a, a portion of his business is, is lighting waste and, and hazardous waste recycling and, and processing, Filters are very gross and changing filters is a point of contamination. Okay. That a lot of people don't think about. It's a point of contamination for the space you're in. So when, when you pull that filter out, that is the most likely time for someone to be infected by something that's on the filter. They may say, no, it's killed or whatever, but the filters from HVAC or anything that processes air are super disgusting. So I think we need to, um, come to understand that process more and more. Greg, over to you. 
That's exactly the area I was going into was looking at this product. It talked about the filter and, and, and the maintenance cycle. And that, that's a, the part that is a little hard for me to wrap my head around and Mike hit on it too. It's just how do you sell that in the lighting industry? So you sell a light fixture that has this and who maintains it? How do they maintain it? How do they know when to do it? You know, it says three to six months on one of these sheets I'm reading here that they have to replace the air filter. How do they monitor it? You know, there's all sorts of questions I have on the maintenance of that. So Dude, are you guys? Great, great questions. Uh, yeah. Just like we replace uh, the air filters in our furnace every six months or so. Uh, when you use any of those air filters, uh, there's no going away. Uh, then from the vendor side, uh, you can either design it to have a, a notification button where it has an internal clock to alert the user time to change or use a sensor to sense the air quality uh, and then uh, notify the user should the air quality uh, degrade it uh, to the point that uh, Mike made on the, the dirtiness of, of air filters. Uh, the nice thing about PECO filters is because of the fact that photocatalysts will keep bacterial virus unlike those uh, traditional HVAC filter where moisture will build up, there'll be mold growing. Uh, with the PECO filters, uh, there won't be any mold growing there because it got killed. And mold cannot grow on PECO filter, by the way, uh, because the most kill bacteria and virus, they will also um, uh, is effective against mold as well. So you will have dust for sure. And it get, uh, but if you let it sit for a long time, you will have that issues that uh, you gentlemen just mentioned. Uh, it will become less effective. See, part of this to me, and I'm going to ask Greg first, and then we'll go over to, to, to you, Matt. We, Greg, we, we heard the term, I don't know when it was, a couple months ago. We heard the term hygiene theater. Remember that? Mm, yes. And to me, to me, I wonder, because of the lack of knowledge within the lighting industry, because of the lighting industry's history of snake oil, okay, from all manner of different things from, you know, full spectrum, you know, that term was thrown around for decades, for, you know, cure right. seasonal disfected disorder and all manner of different things. We're, we're playing, I wonder if the lighting industry as a whole, and then, you know, I'm sure there's going to be specialists who become very good at this and that, you know, are making the case and also providing the after sale service required to make this an effective um, solution for whatever kind of space they're in. But Greg, Eric, how suspicious are you that most of this is some sort of hygiene theater? It's something that yeah, definitely crosses my mind, you know, and I, I, I'm taking the manufacturer's word for it that it works. But yeah, that's a question that the, I, in turn, when I have to sell it to someone, have to be able to answer is how do you know it's effective? And, you know, whether I say, well, it has a red flashing light or it has... You know, the color of the light proves that it's effective. I can't. So what is this sensor you talk about? Maybe I need that air sensor that I can go in and measure it before and then measure it after. What, what was that item you called? Uh, I use uh, some of the high-end uh, air purifiers that you can buy. Maybe one made by Dyson, for example. Uh, they're able to sense the air quality. Therefore, you can uh, turn up the, the air processing power or turn it down if you have a clean air. Similar idea. Uh, then back to the uh, the concern the gentleman has. Uh, 
uh, I will use two examples. Number one is the um, uh, Opera GUV. The Opera GUV equipment and has been in use for decades, and they're a specialty group of people know how to measure, how to calculate in terms of volume, um, uh, the space size, and in terms of the airflow size. They have that all figured out, and they have the best practice uh, listed. Uh, so I think there will be a specialized area where people will learn enough and provide professional consultation how to best select, best deploy this type of equipment, for sure. Uh, back to the uh, PECO-based approach, uh, some of the healthcare facility, they have been used UVCTA in their air duct for a long time. And some of them already use uh, PECO-based air filters uh, for a long time as well. It's just not as publicized uh, because that's not something new. Uh, the PECO-based photocatalyst can be activated by UVC has been in the industry for a long time. Uh, PECO-based approach also started being used uh, for wastewater treatment, just like UVC, TA, uh, where you would drop titanium dioxide into wastewater and then uh, when it gets activated by the UVA in the sun, uh, a cubicular virus. So that's also how it started. And then you can probably buy those uh, PECO-based, titanium dioxide-based uh, air filters from uh, Home Depot or Lowe's, widely available on the market, and put inside your uh, air duct. And then, and then the UVC will activate titanium dioxide very effectively, and then you can replace it. So those are not new, not new. And then you can measure it before and after. Uh, Clearly, so uh, in terms of the, the technology uh, foundation and, and fundamental or the science fundamental uh, can be proven easily. But then, in terms of the effectiveness, uh, that's a good question because, especially with the air disinfection, oftentimes you are using in a more open environment. You're not using it in a closed chamber like the test chamber you would uh, when doing the testing. People are coming in and out. There will be multiple users in the environment. Some will be the carrier breathing into uh, the passenger into the room. Uh, you don't know how many. And also, there's an air ventilation by the front eye. And all those uh, factors play into the effectiveness, the final effectiveness of how uh, the air dispatching uh, uh, result. But it's fair to say, even though it's hard to have a uh, clear measure given all this. Uh, moving parts, but it is very easy to uh, compare side by side different equipment with the same capability. So you can compare two different air disinfection equipment side by side in the same environment easily because they're subject to the same airflow and whatnot. Then you can measure which one is more effective uh, that way. So the the um, I still come back to this like we what I would like to avoid. And I've been kind of observing this. So we put up some ads to attract calls for customers interested in deploying UVC. And one of the, the things is that not only does, like I'm actually quite informed on this issue uh, in comparison to my, my peers and colleagues that are distributors because, just because of the show. And when I, when I speak to people about this, um, I ask them questions like, do you have a UVC disinfection in your, in your HVAC equipment? They don't know the answer to that. So the most obvious first thing to do would be to 
see, look at that and then set up a maintenance protocol around that. And if you don't have that, do that. That would be like the first thing you should do. Then you get yes, into, agreed. yeah, then you get into this issue of either active air disinfection or passive air disinfection, which, which is very effective and, you know, seems like a logical solution for, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, what the, what the, what's the right term for, uh, aged, um, care of, um, infirm or aged people where you have a lot of people who are high risk for, um, COVID-19 death or for any other, uh, respiratory illnesses to deploy either active or passive air disinfection for them. And then you get into like the general environment, how much of this stuff, like we had the tragic incident in China where somebody left a, what a tragedy that is. Somebody left, yeah, um, yeah left a, 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 yeah. A, a surface disinfection machine on in a kindergarten and a bunch of kids had their eyes damaged. Very sad. And, yeah. You, yeah. you know, how much of this, you talked about operating rooms where you have a highly controlled environment that, you know, pharmaceutical companies would be another situation where you would have policies and procedures in place. But what we're really talking about here is not those areas. We're talking about everywhere else when we're, when we're talking about the growth space of this, about the massive opportunity in front of the lighting industry. And I think you addressed my worries about maintenance and concerns of that. How do we get past, you know, the, the idea that maybe there's some applications where we need to be very, very careful. Some applications where they don't have the money or the maintenance sophistication enable to handle this how do we how do we address that like as an industry uh as an industry i couldn't speak for an industry <laughs> uh but i can offer my humble opinion here uh they are i mean number one you really need to know what you're doing uh before you jump in uh like what Mike mentioned, you need to have that protocol uh, for the air disinfection. You need to have that maintenance schedule and the maintenance folks well trained so they would perform that accordingly, just like you would with other equipment uh, in the facility. Uh, otherwise, you know, there will be side effects because you'd be rendered less effective or if someone turned on the UVC uh, by, ac in, by accident, it will cause some damage and a serious issue. So, uh, from the uh, manufacturer side, uh, we should design the equipment to the point that it is foolproof. Foolproof. Uh, vacancy sensor for UVC equipment is a must, uh, in my opinion, because uh, yes, you can have all this warning sign, you can have all this protocol, whatnot defined, but uh, if it's elderly people, they don't look as well, they don't think, uh, they can just walk into a room not looking at any warning flashing light that, that sure. telling you uh, that UVC equipment is operating. So it should have a sensor that will automatic shut That's off. not just elderly people, man. There's a lot of people that would be considered <laughs> just fine that would do that. They would, I mean, oh, yeah. they would have their phone going. They'd have those little earbuds in. They're, you could have like, do not enter. Blah, 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 blah. They could walk in there. I mean, you know, this is exactly. uh, bigger so, than just that. <laughs> so we should need design that is foolproof and also fail safe. What I, what I mean by fail saying is in the event where your vacancy sensor is not operating, uh, you should not be able to turn on that UVC equipment at all. So it's foolproof and fail safe. Hmm. You know, the uh, 
so it's funny because when, whenever I, I, I talk to people either on the show or off the show and they talk to me about these maintenance protocols and all this sort of stuff. And I think why there's a lot of reservation from distributors, which there is, is that, um, those people that talk about it have never sold light bulbs to the guy that maintains the local uh, aged home, <laughs> you know, home for the aged. Right. Uh, that guy cleans the floors, he changes the lights, the odd time he'll change a ballast and screw it up, you know what I mean? And a lot of the applications that I think are best suited do not have the human resources and the ability to maybe add this to that cycle, maybe they should. And then the, I'm particularly speaking about surface disinfection here as well, though. Um, you know, if, if the air disinfection lights are burned out, well, they're not doing any harm. They're not helping anymore, but they're not doing any harm. Correct. But if you, if, you, if you are trying to, you know, if somebody's pushing around one of those push around devices and do they have the right PPE on? I think there's a lot of issues, Greg, Eric, with that and the expertise. I was just going to say real world experience here being at a facility last week that somebody who had a, one of these robot things, I just asked them about it cause mm-hmm. I saw it and, and they're like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's really bright. And, and, uh, you want to see it? And I'm like, um, I, yeah, I'd like to see it. And he goes, well, I was like, well, you should probably plug it in somewhere where, like where we can be behind a window or whatever. He's like, Oh, why? And I was like, well, it's dangerous. And he's like, Oh, it is I'm like, Oh no. <laughs> so I mean, I'm telling you, it's in the field. People yeah, are using them, and they I'm don't. With they you don't know. I'm with you. Yeah, like it's there crazy, is a so. serious disconnect between mm-hmm. the UVC experts and the lighting people that are entering UVC, and then the you know, I I just think to get a grip on lighting should have a worldwide audience of consumers and everybody because, like we've been say, we've been saying it from the beginning, like. Education has to flow downhill. We've been in touch with people in the UV world. And, you know, you have requests like, can you make a drone that can disinfect a stadium? Like, it, like it's just like, oh, my goodness. Like, some of the requests. It's, this is not a magic. It's not magic. I think, I think in my opinion, um, you know, air disinfection can be an obvious um, and very low risk option for people to consider. I think they need to know that they may spend their money and find out that they don't have the wherewithal to maintain it long-term. Like that may happen. The, the, yep. They just won't be able, they won't have the wherewithal and it'll just be a, some sort of hygiene feed or something they did when COVID-19 was hot and five years from now, everybody forgets about it and says, oh, that was what we did at the time and now we've moved on. But I, the problem I have, and in talking to guys like Fred Van Lierop, Greg, is that in train stations and in places where the public congregates, this is a great opportunity for us to reduce the risk of infectious disease. Um, ports, uh, these areas where you have many people coming to every day, like, you know, Pearson Airport, Minneapolis, uh, MSP in, in Minneapolis, they have the maintenance staff, they have the routines, they have the protocols, they should be deploying this sort of stuff as soon as possible, Greg Eric. Do you not agree with that? I do, yeah. And, and it's interesting to see how many of them actually are. I don't hear a lot. I mean, there's some bigger bigger names that have done some, but as a whole, nah. So what are they doing? Extra spray? Uh, I don't like that spraying of chemicals. I really wish, 
I honestly, Doctor Ma, yeah. I really don't like. So they were talking about this high school. Uh, I was I had a talk with the um, with the, one of the uh, it's not the VP. They have a different names at high schools. One of the people that's at the top of the high school, provost or something like it's a very prestigious high school in Toronto, a private private girls school. And I was talking to her, and they're spraying down their classrooms with some ridiculous. I can't remember the code of the chemical. It's hazardous waste. You cannot throw it in the garbage oh, when wow. you. You know, like they're using serious chemicals to clean these classrooms. And I don't, I wouldn't want my kid going into that room after those chemicals have been sprayed all over the desks in that. I, I, I don't think, you talk about stay safe, that's staying dangerous to me. Um, you know, so I, I think yeah, that. I think one of the lesser evil here. Yes. So I think the passive air, the active air, those types of measures, whether it's a fan and the light fixture that you were talking about that has a certain amount of CFMs, if we can design for that, um, if it proves that some of these nanometer solutions are safe for humans, if we can get that fail safe in that vacancy, certain environments, like like you talked about above a bed in a hospital. If a hospital can't manage, add, to, manage to add some lights that help with this infection, that's their problem. What I'm worried about more than anything else is the, the deployment in schools and in, and, and in office buildings where you have that lower degree. I think the industry really needs to think about how hard we want to sell to those environments on that. Because, like I said, no harm if the active air <clears throat> filter is not changed after a year and then it burns out. What, what's the worst thing? You spent money on a light, on a, on a fixture, you move on. But... Um, yeah, so I, what, what, what I want to know from, from, from you, Dr. Mon, I know that you're thinking about this seriously. Does the industry need to give its head a shake with respect to whether we're doing hygiene theater or whether we're actually helping people? What do you think? I think, uh, it definitely benefit everyone. You can separate truth from the false clan here mm -hmm. because they are benefit, but, uh, just like the UVC area. You need to know enough to do it right and not do it in a harmful way. Uh, so education, I'm totally with you, gentlemen. Uh, education is a must because there's a disconnect between not just the end users, they know. The, most uh, people involved in the middle, the distributor, the contractor, they don't know better. They just want to buy something uh, the customer want to pay for. That That's a huge issue. They don't even spend enough time to learn how to what type of equipment is best suited for what type of application? Um, so, so there are a lot of education uh, to be done here. You know that that's an interesting, and and I think it's a, probably a good good place to to kind of shut it down here. But uh, um, I'm going to say one thing. You know the great management theorist Peter Drucker. Ever heard of that guy, Doctor yeah. Ma? Uh, that's my yeah. He, he would ask the questions. Number one, who is the customer? Right. And then he, the next question is, what does the customer want to buy? I think the second question right now is very important for the lighting industry to consider if we're going to make this move and go hard. Because, you know, does the customer want to buy some hygiene theater? They may very well want to buy some hygiene theater, Dr. Ma. I'm not kidding you. Like, I, I, that's actually maybe true. Now, that no one's ever going to say that. But like you, I picture this, Greg, um, some guy who runs a school says, look, I got to do something for these parents. Everybody's freaking yeah. out. 
you know, what can we do? Can we put some machine that has a red light on it when they go in the classroom that says that the air has been disinfected and then we can show all the parents that? Yeah, I could sauce that up for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You want to sauce it up? Yeah, I'll give you a little hygiene theater if you want. So you can show the parents when they're walking. Yes, every room is continuously disinfected using our UVC air disinfection system. Uh, do you care if it works? No, it's all just for the parents just to show them. Yeah, how do you know uh, it works? Oh, because of that, that red light. Up the there. red light. You see that? Yeah. Right? So what we have to ask ourselves is what does that customer want to buy? And if they want to buy hygiene theater... If you're out there, lighting distributor, and you got that gut feeling that this guy's a hygiene theater guy, stick with the air disinfection, please. Okay? Please. You won't, you won't do much harm even if it didn't work. Exactly. Thank you, Dr. Ma, for being a guest. Always a pleasure speaking you're with welcome. you. You're welcome. It's always a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you, Thank gentlemen. You. Bye, friend. com. That's A-L-E-D-D-R-A.com. The wellness lighting professionals, Greggy. That's right. And, you know, I've watched Dr. Ma and do YouTube videos in the past, and he's always been, he was the one that would take the Type B lamp, put it on direct 277 volt and demo <laughs> it for you. And I love that because everybody always asked about it. He's the only one that actually did it. And he videotaped it and he showed it to you. And he's done <laughs> stuff like that for years. And that's what I love about him and that company is that they'll take it to the next step. And then they'll, they'll dive into any lighting issue that's out there and they'll show it to you. And they have 30, uh, they're in the top 30 of all lighting companies for patents. You saw on the wall those little plaques behind them. Those are patents, lighting patents that Allegra has. And in addition, you're going to see on their website how they broke it down. We talked about before. They got wellness lighting, emergency lighting, professional lighting. And they dive into each one and they have do a great job of it with a great product. I love the word wellness too. Scott, there's a tube in the corner there. Bring it out here. Bring it into the studio here for a second. So thank you, Dr. Ma, for coming on the show. Of course, check out the Lighting Industry News Brief, man. Every Monday morning in your inbox, everything that's going on in the game. No, no, the other one, the blowing out tube. Yeah, because I actually uh, had a customer. <laughs> I've been sitting there for a year. I recycled it. He just recycled it. Okay, so I actually had a customer, Greg, that, <laughs> that ordered some ballast-compatible tubes and put them in on their uh, line-voltage bypass fixtures. That was Good really move. nice looking. Yeah, a big boom. Should have YouTube it so we could have demoed it. Could have showed it to the peeps, except Scott's throwing out all my garbage. Um, so, yes, go to NALD.org. Check out the Lighting Industry News Brief. Uh, Scott, where can they get the Lighting Industry News Brief? Uh, it's on YouTube at Nailed's YouTube channel. You can get it just delivered to you every Monday morning on Potomatic, or you can just read it. What about Spotify and iTunes oh, and all that stuff? It's on everything. I gotta double check our Amazon listing. Okay, but what about Alexa. what about where do they search for it on? What do they put into the search bar on on, uh, on the lighting YouTube? industry news brief? That's lighting it. In, the lighting industry news brief. Put that into your little Spotify, whatever you got, and boom, you're good to go. Uh, what else, Greg? I think that's it for now. That's what that'll do. Check us out. Written on the rectory wall, there's a sign there for all. You are lost, Lord is there to find you.